The Outline World Dispatch. Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a story on the theme of power, culture, or the future, handpicked from theoutline.com. Today, we're talking about dying languages and the people fighting to keep them alive. Let's get right into it. Culture. What is the Lakota language? Give me like a, a little primer on what that is. All right. Yes. Um, the Lakota language, it is a language spoken by the, the Lakota tribe. There's around 2,000 speakers left. It is considered an endangered language. Uh, I grew. I actually grew up in rural Minnesota, where there is a sister dialect, the the um, the D- Dakota with a D, and that only has five native uh, first language speakers left. And in the community that I grew up near, the Lower Sioux Indian Reservation, there was one last fall, and he died. So the Dakota and uh, Lakota dialects are both indigenous heritage languages that are in need of revitalization. I can't speak the language. I was only able to transliterate the terms with the help of uh, the speakers themselves. But the, the literal English translations of some of the new words are actually pretty funny. What are some examples of that? Their word for Walmart is literally the place where you get lost. (laughs) Television, the literal translation is something that makes you sit there looking stupid. Uh, Cell phone, cell phone is the black cloud that is always following. Oh man. And, uh, it's my FBI agent. You know, it's, it's, it's an age of surveillance. Yeah. The literal English translation for the Lakota word for French is, uh, ordinary white people. And uh, for Americans, it's actually long knives, uh, uh, which refers to the sabers that the U.S. Capitol yeah, had. Yeah. How were you introduced to Peter Hill? Peter Hill is um, one of the lead instructors in an immersion program on the Pine Ridge Reservation. He is one of the... Uh, one of the leaders of this revitalization program in my hometown is the Lower Sioux Indian Reservation. They're starting a new immersion program, and they draw from Peter Hill's program, which uh, began in 2012 after they got funding from Kickstarter to start theirs. What exactly is a, a language immersion program? Well, they're based off of um, indigenous revitalization programs that are started by the Maori and the Hawaiians. The idea is the best way to learn a language is to start off young. So the idea is to start them off um, from from three to five, maybe younger. You're in preschool. You're in a language nest is the terminology. Your speakers, your teachers, your your instructors, all the administrators at your immersion school, they're all speaking Dakota or Lakota. As you reach into um, other grades, eventually you'll start getting into English. One one of the biggest examples of this in America is that the Navajo um, immersion schools, where they go up, um, I believe, into into middle school, 
And I guess what the research says on this is um, these kids might struggle a little bit of English um, in the early grades, but by the time they're in high school, they're, they're way better than the other kids. They got two languages. Um, they can switch between the two. And uh, most research shows that bilingualism is, is great for uh, uh, abstract thinking. What's the ultimate goal, I guess, of, of Hill's program? So Peter Hill talks about something. He calls it the box. He told me that young kids, the, the kids that he teaches, he, he before teaching his emergent school, emergent school, he also taught high schoolers. And the way they see it is uh, Lakota is, a, is an old-timey thing. And that's supported by the fact that most of the people who know it are 65 plus. They're all, um, there's, a, there's a huge gap in the language that was caused by federal policies. And he's trying to, he's trying to make it so young people view Lakota as a living language. When I talk to friends who, for the most part, are immigrants or, or kids of immigrants in particular, uh, I think that sometimes even f- f- parents and families are really against the idea of their kids not immediately learning English because it's like this, uh, this you know, not only just a rite of passage, but it kind of leads to more opportunities and things like that. So... To me right now, though, I feel like a lot of my friends are trying to revisit the languages of their families, of their parents after, you know, immigrating to the States and and trying to make new lives for themselves. That's been my experience. Like I I grew up, um, I'm I'm a Filipino immigrant. I came here when I was three, but I I grew up speaking um, American, going to learning English in school. What what Peter Hill and what the others say is is right. It is basically an English immersion program where you're, um, you're basically turned into an English speaker right away. And that is something that I I really uh, um, think about a lot is, to, to lose a language and to go back as a and you're you're really just a tourist among your own people right there's a definite lack whenever um, a language is lost right so for you and me we are you know two people of color who have kind of a more of a direct tie i think to the argument for wanting to connect to these heritages that you know our families share but peter hill is white and how has that really been received in pine ridge has that detracted from his effort at all I know he's given he's given talks on that, and I've talked to him a little bit about that. What, he actually came there on um, on, a, on a teaching program, and I, he fell in love with the place. He, um, he eventually married someone from the reservation, and in interviews he said that uh, he's never really regretted the the white guilt that brought him to that place. I think uh, when he's spoken to me, he's always deferred to other Lakota experts like Glenn Blackbear, who he calls the preeminent uh, speaker uh, and uh, coiner of new words. I, I think, is in terms of of what he's doing, he's he's putting a lot of uh, a lot of sweat equity and and really making sure that the that the people whose heritage as it um is at stake is at the forefront. Today you heard from J.P. Lawrence, a reporter who's written for the New York Review of Books, Motherboard, The Intercept, and the Christian Science Monitor. For more of our stories, head to theoutline.com. We're produced by James T. Green. If you love the show, tell a friend. We're at Outline Dispatch on Twitter, and you can find me at Aaron M. Edwards. If you have any feedback at all, you can send me an email at Aaron at theoutline.com. Hope you have a great day. Remember, Monday blues are like Tinkerbell. 
They only have power if you believe in them. I'm Aaron Edwards, and I'll talk to you soon.